Hello there. Uh, welcome to a very special episode of this podcast. This is uh, Mike and... This is Bob. And this is Comparing Apples to Oranges and... This is also Uncaged on Cage. That's right. It's a double bill. Uh, it's a twofer. It's um, a buy one, get one. It's a BOGO. Uh, or BODO. About, do, oh, do, DOGO. Download one, get one. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's a doged. <laughs> you know what it is. Download one, you get two. Oh, that, that makes way more sense. <laughs> Download one, get yeah. Huh. <laughs> Download one, you get two. Doig, doig. I don't know. That rolls off the tongue. I don't know why we didn't think of that first. So uh, today, for the comparing apples to oranges part of it, uh, we took two movies from the same category that don't belong in the same genre. And we are still going to use a set of criteria designed specifically for this episode to tell you which one's better. And for uh, the the secondary podcast, Bob, give us a walk us around, lead us by the hand, why don't you? Uh, I will take you by your uh, angel blue flame encrusted hand <laughs> uh, and lead you through the grounds of uncaged on cage. Uh, that's right. It's the podcast dedicated to the work, the life, the national treasure. That is Nicholas Cage. I see what you did there. I did liked you, it. That, uh, uh, that was fun. Uh, on Cage on Cage, yeah. It's uh, it, it's Nick Cage movies, baby. Uh, the greatest actor of his generation, uh, and we're giving him the recognition he deserves. I think. Um, so I did a quick search for other Nick Cage podcasts, and there was, of course, more than one. And there's one that has already... I think they only did one episode and they're already gone. And then the other guys, their claim to fame is they're just like, we get drunk and talk about Nick Cage. I'm like, that just sounds like... That's not really a podcast. Like, No, uh, like... I, I don't... If you were, like, already famous, maybe I'd listen to that? Nah, I've listened to some famous people ones where they're just like, hey, I'm a celebrity podcaster and now I'm gonna do a new podcast. I'm like, those are 50-50 for me. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Like, Bill Burr can pull it off, but... Nah. You know. we'll, we'll see. He, he, he can ramble we'll for see. an hour and a half. We'll see. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of focus to Uncaged on Cage. We'll go through movie by movie, sometimes two at a time, in no particular order. Uh, but me and a guest, or multiple guests, will uh, discuss and have fun with uh, Nicolas Cage. I was recently going through a... It wasn't a existential... Um, uh, definitely not a crisis but like I, I was thinking hard and I'm like you know there's a lot of content in the world there's a lot of media already out there does any, a lot of tent. does anybody really need anything else is it is it okay like from a standpoint of should I generate media and I told myself you know eh, why not like you and I were just having a very serious conversation about how sad things can be all the time. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the this natural is, state of yeah. our world. And if you don't need a distraction, uh, sometimes you need like a tiny little mission. And me creating something is my tiny little mission. And sometimes, uh, because I have to do chores, I like listening to stuff. And so I know this isn't going to be really big. And no, I'm not <laughs> making art. But, you know, like... It's this is better than some guy getting drunk and speaking into a microphone about Nicolas Cage's. You're approaching it from a, it's, it's systematic, 
it's first of all it's it's appreciative which i think if you are going to complain about stuff it has to be really funny or i think that you're too negative and you should just stay out of yeah, it. yeah exactly there there is a lot of uh snark out there in the world right now and well it's also look, like who doesn't enjoy that but it, yeah this uh this is a celebration and of nick cage because this any, isn't a total defense of everything he's ever chosen to do podcast but this is a this is an appreciation. There's a difference between being a fanboy and being um, someone who is an apologist. And yes. I think um, if you are going to appreciate someone, you are going to recognize where they're coming from as a person, and that sometimes means you like them more because oh wow. These are some interesting choices. I wonder what I would do in his situation. Or, well, that's that's crazy. But let's let's try to get into his mind about this. Because for someone who is so very famous and who is e- extremely a list, total you know Hollywood superstar, and not to mention just a very prolific filmmaker. Oh Lord, over one hundred entries on his imdb film acting credits right. in films we're not talking about producing direct writing executive no, producing not talking about appearances on tv voiceover acting mm-hmm. uh stuff mm-hmm. you know when it's a credit as like as stock himself. footage exactly yeah we're not talking about that acting <laughs> film credits he is a, he's 100. so interesting because like he's often parodied and sort yeah. of like he's as he should be a quick joke where, like, people will talk about Christopher Walken in the same, like, uh, milieu of, like, people who are beyond normal, but who are, like, interesting to watch from a Hollywood standpoint. Because they yeah. are so, they don't fit any mold. And I do think that uh, can teeter into a mockery of both of those actors. Right. Uh, because they are... Uh, very particular yes. in their acting choices. Um, not only the choices they make in projects, but each individual line, you can clearly tell that they put thought and passion into how they delivered each line of every script that they read. And I think that that's going to that's gonna show up in both of our movies today. Are you ready to talk about the movies, or do you want to uh, set the groundwork some more? You know, let's uh, let's dive into these movies here. Um, what is? Well, we know what the theme of Uncaged on Cage is. Right. Uh, what is the theme of Apples and Oranges today? Uh, today it's films with Nicolas Cage in it, or films with uh, one the same lead actor, and and not uh, just that, but adaptations of media of uh, literature. Literature. Yeah, we'll call it yeah. literature. Um, yeah, so this is a this is a twofer, oh, a, a mm. fourfer <laughs> or threefer. Anyway, uh, I'm not keeping track, but I think um, there are not a lot of movies that you can pick up fit in this uh, category so comfortably where the genres are so different. Like, yes. if you look me in the face and say Tom Cruise, and you're like, oh no, he's a he's a serious actor because of the firm and uh a few good men and then you're like oh, but he's also an action star because of you know the mission, mission impossible movies and, uh, yeah. uh 
Days of Thunder, you know, whatever. Any of that stuff. And I would say that might be true, but he's always acting the same in every... He's... Except for Tropic Thunder, he cannot play a comical role. And... I don't know if that's because he doesn't want to. There's no ironic detachment with yeah with Cruz. And um, uh, a while back, I did an episode where an actor who was is very well known for one genre switch genres, and we watched two movies. So we watched a serious role of uh, Michael Keaton, and you're like, oh, he's been in a bunch of serious stuff. But this was like his first, like after Mr. Mom role and it was like clean and sober and it was about him like you know recovering from alcohol addiction and like narcotic abuse and you're like what the hell wow. and then we watched the number 23 with jim carrey and you're like no jim carrey's like a good talented like serious actor like not at this point like he <laughs> he just did not know what he was doing he was playing a saxophone he had a weird like arm tattoo and so like those movies seem like very one-off almost like they the the exception is the rule or proves the rule they do yeah they do not fit in that actor's and it, career and that's the whole thing with like adam sandler i recently saw an article that was talking about like the defense of adam sandler as like a, he's a good serious actor mm-hmm. and it's like that's because he's only been in three movies and he just like takes it seriously like i thought big daddy was a good movie because he didn't yeah. use a stupid voice most of the time right. like <laughs> And, and they are good movies. Yeah. And, and then it's such a small sample, but then you do get a movie like Punch Drunk Love, and you're like, exactly. wow, this, there's a real pathos to this right. guy. And then, of but course. he just doesn't want to show on screen most of the yeah. time. I mean, well, he's pretty successful at what he does. Yes. But when he chooses to choose to do those projects. It's like, where was this talent? Right. Happy, yeah. happy Madison. And I haven't seen it yet, but one of the movies i'm most excited to see is on this uncut gems i heard it's awesome i've heard it's just a phenomenal movie and he is like there's you know there's there's some humor in it but he's not funny right it's yeah real life humor instead of uh little nicky man i just he just keeps digging a hole uh but i think that nicholas cage is particularly adept at moving through genres and mm-hmm. absolutely um so the two movies we picked were uh we watched the movie joe which is a 2013 independent crime drama film directed and co-produced by david gordon green who i'm going to get into <laughs> I, yes yes let's um, go off and he, it was written the the film was written by gary hawkins um who i'm going to mention real quick and it's an adaptation from a Larry Brown book that was written in 1991. Yeah. Which is like, I know that's a long time ago. But it seems like the the film seems very modern for this kind of uh, novelization. It's modern, but uh, timeless in a way, though. Yeah. Because it, uh, it could definitely be any generation. Right. Instead and of. There, there are so few plot particulars that really place it at any time. Right. There are a lot of plot particulars that place it in a very specific location, though. Yes. I knew uh, it was the is, South. This is a, it took me a while. Gothic it took tale me, 
uh, like any that's, that's that's ever been told. It took me a while to find out it was Texas, but I it just because it just oh. felt like so un unregistered South. Yeah, I mean, at first, in kind of the opening movie, I almost thought it was in the Pacific Northwest with the woods yep. and the rain and all that. Yep. That would it's make like, perfect oh, sense. Accents and yep. yeah, okay, no, this is the South. Yeah. And, and then no, it, I mean it's it's backwoods Texas. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere backwoods almost. Yes. So um, so Nicholas Cage plays the lead role, uh, who is Joe. Na- who's Joe, and um, so I'm gonna just real quick talk about the the writer Gary Hawkins. He directed a film called The Rough South of Larry Brown, who is the author of Joe the novel. So that's like already owes some like credence to this is not coming out of left field this is uh being done intentionally by these people um <laughs> you want to talk about the director now or should we wait on that let's get into it okay let's get into david gordon green <laughs> okay um you might know david gordon green because he directed pineapple express <laughs> yes he did and did you watch your highness i never saw neither did i it looked bad yeah <laughs> It probably was. <laughs> it looked like the not that entertaining kind of bad. <laughs> However, but, in, in an entertaining bad but good way, he also wrote a couple episodes for Danny McBride's HBO TV comedy Eastbound and Down. Oh, not just Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals oh. and Righteous Gemstones, which he did because Danny McBride this is a trilogy he's of an Danny executive McBride shows he's a pro, Danny McBride is a producer on this film which blew my mind <laughs> and now I understand why yeah. and the two of them also produce and I'm pretty sure David Gordon Green directed the recent Halloween um oh not remake but reimagining sequel, yeah of. it's the sequel that follows Halloween 1 I think it ignores everything. Or maybe Halloween 2. After 1. Okay. Maybe 2. People know this answer. And I've I've listened to this yeah. answer. I saw the movie. That's a good movie. It's a good <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. It, it is the second best Halloween movie. That's, that's saying something. That's there's, pretty good. There's 230 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's are. But, okay, so yeah, David he, Gordon Green. Uh, we're, we're making light, but like he also did some serious movies, too before this right yeah uh kicked off his career with uh and i haven't seen it but the movie called george washington okay uh, which i think uh, from what i gather has a similar feel to joe it's about uh some kids or youths in the south uh there was an uh, uh unspeakable act committed in the past and they're trying to cover it up and hide it and i from what I gather, it is a very dark, grimy yeah. character study. Right. Which is what Joe is. Yes. Very unfiltered, like, what you see is what you get. There is no way to make this anything but it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I read it in uh, the review from The Guardian. Uh, they mentioned that Nicholas Cage cuts a brooding figure in this powerful slice of, and then you mentioned it earlier, Southern Gothic realism by the director of Pineapple Express. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like listening to people elevate this movie by describing it with specific, like, 
adjectives and nouns that make no sense sometimes together. Like, Southern Gothic is a Cormac McCarthy phrase. Like, that's how they, like, paint. That's that's his genre. And they tried to mention that this Larry Brown, the, auth- the original author, like, he is seen as a, like, he should be considered as a Southern writer, like, with Cormac mm-hmm. McCarthy and William Faulkner. Yeah. Like, he's not the best Maybe but not as influential but he's writing about the people that live there and the place that live yeah, there and like an important contributor within yes. the uh, genre exactly um yeah i mean this is i don't know when i first learned the term southern gothic but that i think one of the most indelible examples of southern gothic uh you know film or tv is true detective season oh my God. one so good and there are scenes in this movie that I'm like, this this is straight up True Detective. Yeah. The, the brothel yep. in Joe is straight up the brothel that Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson go to in yeah. season one. It's very rough. <laughs> Everyone's rough. Yes. It is dirty and grimy and... and you get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, passionate and yeah. <laughs> Remember that scene... <laughs> With the guy, uh, with Nicolas Cage is trying to make eye contact and focus on like a snowflake. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm gonna get into this in a little bit, but like, I'm I'm very upset with like how some people keep talking about this movie, like, because they miss major things in the movie, like they just completely misunderstand stuff, and it was very frustrating to me. <laughs> Uh, what's what's an example okay. of this misunderstanding? So this is let me read you this. So this is from the an, a Gawker article. Ooh, um, R.I.P. It says Joe is a wild movie, partly because of Cage's unhinged performance. I'm like, I have I, now, str- I struggle with that phrase. That's funny, and I'll let you continue. But I have something to immediately rebut that. Okay. Um, and then it says there is an unintentionally hilarious moment in which Joe seethes about the house mascot that lives in the dilapidated whorehouse he frequents and hollers that dog is an asshole and if you thought that was funny I'm worried that you're misunderstanding what's happening in the scene because he comes to the, the, the brothel in like He's been tipped past his his point. He's yes. Be, he, the, he, if he's you want to say to go on cage, if I <laughs> if you want to say he's unhinged, you're wrong. Like he knows what he's doing and he is losing it. Yeah. And when he's yelling that dog is an asshole, it's right after he's. They're like, one of the women says, um. Oh, that's right. I forgot you don't like dogs. And he says, No, I love dogs. That, I don't dog. Like that dog. And which is like. If you think that's funny, I'm worried because, like, you're missing... This is a character. This is a person, and he has a history that right. we're not going to get into, no. but you don't want to know about it. <laughs> and that, yeah, it's one of those small moments that... It, it, I, I love it. it it's it, it, it's one of those moments that it's one line, nothing else is explained, and it paints such a picture of yep. who the character is. Yeah who Joe is, who these prostitutes are, the history of these people together, they've clearly known each other for yeah. years, if not 
decades, if not his entire life. Right. Um, and that's so funny that uh, this Gawker article called it uh, a, a picture of of what was the word they use unhinged. unhinged. Now the AV Club's review of this movie, uh, written by A. A. Dowd, says what's commendable about Cage's performance, given his usual tendency to go as far over the top as possible is the way the actor downplays even the occasional surge of, of violent emotion. This is a movie about restraint. That Okay, that's an intelligent sentence. And that is what this movie is about. It's about a man who has been through... I, he spent 29 months in the penitentiary for beating up a cop. Right. And as you see in the movie, he beats up other cops. And he's, <laughs> They've he's got clearly a, a rough guy. Oh, they have it coming. Yeah, for sure. Um, he slaps that cop's hat no. off, and then his gun. The cop can't find his gun. <laughs> now that's what humor. That was unintentionally funny. As an audience member, I you were supposed to find that funny. Yeah, but like it's unintentionally funny in that like the scene sh- it was not played for yucks. No, but that line is so true. This is a movie about restraint. This is a movie about a man. With a violent past, yes. With an angry past, who's reckoning with his past, and I think it's fair to say he's a little um, kind of drifting out there in the sea at the start of this moment. He's working. He leads a crew, a group of day laborers, doing their job, and he has a house. He has an on and off girlfriend, and he's got like know, fifty. He's doing okay. He he's a pillar of the community. Everyone knows him, and the only everyone loves the only people who have problems with him are somebody who wants everyone's affection but doesn't know how to get it the proper way, and then the cops because he is the authority figure and they don't like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this is character who like a two quotes reckoning with his past and doesn't know what to do until Gary comes into town. Yeah. And so let me read. So this is from the New York Times article or the New York Times review. And it says from the start, Joe reads as a quasi biblical parable in which Joe's good and bad instincts are at war. And this is a punishing exercise in Southern miserableism. Ooh. And I, you I know, like uh, I also found out that snake, that's a real snake. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but yep, he didn't pick it up. You're like, no, he didn't pick it up, but he was holding he the real snake. Oh, a, a big snake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the I think what I'm having trouble with here is it's not that he doesn't want to be good or he wants to be bad. It's he can only act a certain way and it be socially acceptable. And there is no good or bad. It's what's going to get you killed and what's going to get the community what how are you going to help out people and yes he is a he's not of a normal i don't want to say normal he's not of a societally acceptable moral compass and i think that goes right to like the job which was described inaccurately multiple times in multiple reviews they're like, oh, he's going in to chop trees down. No, he's going in to no, poison trees, trees so that a lumber company could come in and justify cutting trees down so that they can justify planting new trees. He is, like, literally doing the dirty work of rich people. Yes, and yeah. 
his he is the middleman in the uh, you know environmentally destructive capitalist machine and his choices are like saying no that's wrong or literally making sure that people are allowed to feed their families like He's, he's em- got 15 or so guys. He's employing those guys. Every time he gets money, he spreads it out in the community. And every time he doesn't get money because it rains, he still buys them dinner. Right. Which is like, oh, this is a good guy. You're like, yeah. <laughs> like, right. He, right. There's yeah. no like good or bad. He's taking care of the people that he knows. And even the people who like don't show up to work on time, he's like, or people who are trying to get off you know, on their own, or this, like, this deadbeat guy. So, like, I don't know. So, I think this is a rough movie, and we're going to talk about it some more, but I think it's, uh, let's, let's talk about movie two. Sure. Ghost Rider, uh, it's parenthetical two, because this is the sequel. Spirit of it Vengeance. Is, it is not Ghost Rider two. Correct. It's it parenthet- Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Okay, bracketed then. <laughs> Unspoken. <laughs> it's a silent two. Ghost Rider 2, Spirit of Vengeance, a 2011 American superhero film. Uh, that's right, Ghost, Ghost Rider based off of the Marvel Comics anti-hero Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a standalone sequel, which I don't know how that phrase works. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. I mean, I, mean, I guess that you could reasonably watch this movie and there's some, some voiceover in the beginning yeah. that kind of explains what happens in the first movie. And so like the Pink Panther movies? See the first are those movie. standalone sequels? Yeah, it's like an Indiana Jones. Is that a standalone sequel? Yeah. So, uh, Nicholas... It's a standalone prequel in Indiana Jones. That's a good point. What about young Indiana Jones? Oh, God. <laughs> so, Nicholas Cage plays uh, Johnny Blaze uh, just like... Uh, most successful marvel comics there are a number of people who don the mantle of ghost rider i believe johnny blaze is the first although i'm not i'm not completely up on the law not within the canon of the films okay uh in the first movie sam elliott was a previous previous ghost rider you're right and because he was uh, cowboy yes his uh vehicle that he turns into a Fire thing, yeah. Thing is a horse. Naturally, so, yeah. Horses, are, horses are cool. Horse fire, awesome. Um, so maybe you've heard of these directors, Mark <laughs> uh, <laughs> Neveldine and Brian Taylor wrote and directed and shot themselves <laughs> and edited majority crank, of <laughs> and crank two high voltage. Crank high, crank two high voltage is so good it's, that it's. Undescribable. It's not dumb indes- how good that not movie is. Indescribable. It's you can't it's undescribable. <laughs> indescribable is in itself one kind of description because indescribable is a word. Undescribable is not a word because that's what crank two is. High that, voltage. That is a great that's a great way to put it. I mean there are shots and scenes in those movies that they really do transcend language. You have to see, you have to see them and witness them. Because Crank is a good movie. It's yeah. a it's a great idea. It's so it's much fun. Executed well. And Jason Statham is awesome. He knows what he's doing. He's doing it well. Crank Two is like, hey, stupid! You like that movie you just saw? What if we did it times a number that you can't fathom? You're like, I don't. You can't. Yeah. They're like, what if we cut off a man's elbow in front of you? And like. You're not gonna do that. Is that what? <laughs> why, why did you do? That? I didn't ask for that, did I? <laughs> well, fuck you. You're getting it. Yeah, 
And it's going all the way to 11. <laughs> um, so this movie, I, I, I bring up 2011 because this is a Marvel movie. The two movies that had come out in the MCU, which now is 23 movies long and they already have that ripped Kumail Nanjiani is going to be in 24 yeah, or 5. Yeah, freaky. Um, in September 2008, Cage informed IGN that Columbia had taken meetings to start a sequel. So, uh, the first Ghost Rider had already come out. Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk had come out after that. And then they're like, oh, we're going to do a sequel to ghost rider but it's not he's not an avenger but he is like part of the world yeah but this movie did so weird that they like got rid of johnny blaze and now in the agents of shield there's a new there is a johnny ghost blaze there's a new ghost rider and he's being played by new ghost rider sure uh gabriel luna something last name luna i can't remember hmm. um yeah, the, the, the Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance were strangely successful movies. Uh, definitely commercially successful. Commercially, yeah. I think my, my favorite line from the Wikipedia article is, the film experienced worse critical reception than the first film, with criticism being aimed towards the script, CGI, <laughs> and acting. The film grossed more than $132 million against its $57 million production budget. I haven't heard a single... So everything sucks about the movie, and it netted $80 million. I haven't heard anyone say anything positive about Lion King, like oh, the live-action one. Looks like dog shit. It, it made a billion dollars with a B. So crazy. <laughs> Aladdin, too. Everyone just crossed their arms like, yep. Yeah, yeah, I paid money to see it. Like, yeah. no, this I paid, is not this. I paid $18 to see that in 3D. <laughs> Why? There's 40, a guy next Why to me squirted that? me in a water bottle. <laughs> 4D. Um, so this is also based, uh, yes, on the Ghost Rider uh, series of comics, but it was specifically... I don't think it's an exact adaptation of any story. It was. It said that they were elements. They were going to use um, the arc of Road to Damnation, which I read. Thank God, there's a Wikipedia article about it. It has nothing to do with what happens in this movie. <laughs> nothing. There is. There are two villains that show up in this in the arc of the uh, comics that are just not even in this. There is no. There is nothing. It all <laughs> takes place in hell in the comics. This this arc that, that they said cool. that this is after, which I'm like, do you did you see Drive Angry? I haven't seen Drive Angry yet. <gasps> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, not gonna mention. Anything. I'm excited to. <laughs> oh, okay. So here it is. Sorry. The name of the guy on Agents of Shield now is Robbie Reyes. That that's the ghostwriter that's in there now. Sure. Um. Last thing I'm going to mention is how they kept trying to bring up that um, Deadpool. They just kept talking about Deadpool. And this is now because people are like, hey, why'd that movie suck so hard? And he's like, Nicolas Cage says, that movie is, is a still a movie that should be made. Not with me, obviously, but it should be an R-rated movie, he argued. Deadpool was R-rated, and that yes. did great. 
He said Ghost Rider was designed to be a scary superhero with an R rating and edge, and they just didn't have it worked out back then. It is every, uh, uh, you know, Wikipedia, Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. um, you know, IMDb, any uh, movie website that lists your movies, lists the genres, always associate Ghost Rider movies, they're horror movies. Right. Yeah, they're, they're also action and comic book, but they're horror movies. Literally the devil There's is the main character in both movies. Literally nothing scary <laughs> in either of these movies. Uh, no, you're right. Like, I've, I, was mo- I was so much more scared than Joe. Yes! <laughs> like... At reality than yes. I was about literal demons walking the earth. <laughs> oh my god, going into the final act of Jill, I'm just like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, this is... I, it's too real! Yeah, this it's is... too real! Only bad things are gonna happen. And, uh, you know, Johnny Blaze comes around, it's like, he's gonna kill the guys, whatever. He's unstoppable. Yes! I think the most frustrating thing about the first movie that I did watch... Not, yeah. not recently. Watched it about a week ago. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> is that, like, the only thing he needs to do is touch somebody with his chain. He doesn't fight anyone. He just hits somebody with his chain no. and then it's over. Oh, God. The first fight scene in this movie, mm-hmm. Spirit of Vengeance, when uh, Kerrigan and his thugs catch up to uh, uh, the woman and the kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh and Jenny Blaze shows up in Ghost Rider and he's on a flaming bike and his skull's on fire. And, you know, the bike skids out, yeah. he gets off. He looks really cool. The right. CG looks pretty damn good. I was upset that people said this was bad CGI. The bike looked pretty cool. So it was like, so there's a guy who can change things. He can decay Decays things. things, yeah. The, some of that the is amazing. Really cool. It's really good. Yeah. Nicolas Cage's face turning to a skull like when he was like riding and screaming. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Yes. I, I was upset that people said it was bad. But so this first fight scene, like he shows up and then he gets off the bike and then he just kind of stands there for like 15 seconds. And the henchmen are just kind of looking at him. And then he pulls out his chain and he kills a bad guy and he turns into ash. And then they just stand stand there for like another 30 seconds it's the most it's so boring it is so boring it's bad but so they also uh the ghost rider spirit of vengeance was nominated for two golden raspberries worst actor nicholas cage uh and worst remake ripoff or sequel i do not think of all the people who did a bad job in this movie nicholas cage did not do a bad job I am he comfortably was not bad. That. He was not. Uh, he was on the scale of Cage. Mm-hmm. He was. He was kind of sleepwalking through most of it. I think uh, he definitely didn't give it, okay. give it his all. Okay, but he wasn't bad. You know who was bad? Idris Elba did a real bad job. Yeah. Here's why. Um, what was his accent? What was his <laughs> identity? Remember I literally when he, thought he was an angel. He gave communion. He's a priest. He did communion, and he said, "Blood of Christ and Body of Christ," and he gave both of them to Nicolas Cage, and he said, "What happens now?" And I'm like, "I think you just now you're gonna go home and have pancakes yeah. like service." <laughs> that was really weird. Well, you got about ten more minutes, and then they say, "Go in peace," and you say, "Thank God," because. Also, like, the mom had an accent because the actress is, like, legitimately foreign. 
I, I, you know, Bulgaria or and something. Then, like, it's like Eastern European. The baby, her, the son is half devil, and he couldn't act his way out of a bag. Oh, that was, that was rough. Also, like, can you imagine what this movie would have been like before they did the CGI, where, like, the boy just had to, like, pretend to vomit into Nick Cage's mouth to turn him into a Ghost Rider? Yeah. Or, or even how they would have done, like, a flaming skull. I mean, I guess you would just take a skull and cover it in, you know, shaving uh, gel and just light it on fire. Yeah. But, like, uh, yeah. I don't know how you do it. Like, I. Like a motorcycle helmet, I think maybe? There's a that way to do it. I had this picture in my mind that this would have been a really cool John Carpenter movie. Yeah, practical effects. Early 90s John insane. Carpenter. Kurt Russell is Johnny Blaze. Figure out somebody to do practical effects. And you add that Carpenter, he can really balance the horror and comedy and action like yeah. almost no one else can. And, well, that, yeah, because those. That might have worked. Horror's the easiest to make. Comedy is the hardest to do right. But, like, horror's hard to do right, too. And, oh, like, yeah. the best ones are, like, where it's it's real. And I this was so... I don't know where this was going. It was so... It's just such an airy... Pointless. Well, also just, like, there were, there were plot holes that were really confusing. We're like... So, one thing that did make sense is Nicolas Cage is like the father figure to this kid. What didn't make sense was sure. I couldn't understand how old they thought Nicolas Cage should have been playing. Cause like when he's talking about how, how he was such a badass stuntman in the beginning and they're like yeah. using animation and he does the, the the one flip where he moons the audience. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Sixty or whatever. Yeah, but like an older man wouldn't do that. Right. And then I could I couldn't was he, suss out. And I don't think he was talking about events prior to the first movie. It, it, no, it had to have been. I guess because <laughs> he was a stuntman then, and then he signed. That's the true. Deal he could be a stuntman after uh, after the first movie. I don't. I don't know. I don't but then know. it was it was what uh, twenty years between his initial deal with the devil and the first movie, and then another eight right. until the second movie. Right. Yeah, like right. Uh, <laughs> last thing I'm going to bring up: Christopher Lambert is in this movie, um, <laughs> who I 100 thought was Thomas Jane the entire time I watched it. I'm like, is it? Is this Tom Jane? I'm currently watching The Expanse featuring Tom Jane. <laughs> like, what a weird coincidence. Is this Tom Jane? Oh, wait, it's not real. <laughs> I made that up. No, no um, that's the goddamn Highlander. And there was like, I wrote down Highlander because there's sword fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and it said, oh, this is a terrible, terrible Although, fact that there Wikipedia can be gave only me. one Ghost Rider. Is that true? The Ghost Rider gets passed, uh, you know. But there was uh, no ghost. There was no Ghost Rider for a little bit, for like eight minutes in the movie. <laughs> for there being only one doesn't mean there has to be one. That's fair. There can be no more than one. That's fair. That should that should be the Highlanders phrase. That there's a there can be no more than one. There is a sequel to Highlander that like ru ruins the whole lore of the first one. Did not see the sequel. I didn't either, but I read about <laughs> it and I said, "Well, I'm glad I didn't see that." <laughs> 
so Christopher Lambert underwent three months of sword training and shaved his head for the role. He was already a Highlander. Did he forget what? all the stuff? Because there's no sword fighting in this movie where I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm pretty sure sword fighting is like riding a bike, Christopher Lambert. Also, just like, did, what did he think was going to happen? Also, he was, like, the, he was on screen for like five minutes? And he, I don't, he barely fought with a sword? I don't remember with the sword. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but like, I legitimately thought the visual effects in this movie were very good. Uh, yes. Especially because, yes. like, this was after Iron Man. And, like, like they they had some... Uh, this was Marvel Knights with a K, not, like, uh, uh, Baywatch Knights with an N. But, like, so, like, they were getting some Marvel money. Like, they, what was the stat? Mm. They, they had 57 million... About 57 million production budget. And yeah. none of it was spent on, like... None of it was spent on location because they're all in Turkey the whole time. <laughs> so it's like, does <laughs> it make that for, like... Just run around. Yeah. I don't know. They had a lot of extras that definitely didn't speak English, so. <laughs> okay, so uh, what else do you want to talk about Ghost Rider before we get into our uh, our criteria today? Yeah, I, uh, okay, answer this question. I'm ready. Was Moreau an angel? No, he... He's a priest, right? He's he a was, man. He's a man. He's a man. Then explain to me... Uh-oh. How in the opening of the movie, uh, you know, this cool-ass compound, uh, you know, the priest Giles from Buffy. Naturally. Um, he's back at it. He's back. He's still a priest. I guess he wasn't a priest in Buffy. He was more of a uh, 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 a trainer in dark arts. Yeah, he knew, he knew some stuff. Yeah, he knew but, vampire stuff. Right. He's a priest in this movie. So the, the compound gets assaulted. Eater Selva's chasing down the kid. And there's a moment where they're... Driving down the highway at, I don't know, 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Moreau crashes his bike, flies off a cliff, turns around and shoots his guns at the bad guy, seemingly to no effect because the bad guy's still there. Oh, yeah. And he. No, he shoots the tire. He shoots the tire, yes. It's like, cool. Great. And then he just falls off a cliff into trees? He claims and that then he's fine he claims that there was like he had a guardian angel or something and it like he landed in a tree like they literally address the fact that well this doesn't make any damn sense like sonny bono landed in a tree going a lot slower than that no i know we're that's we're not allowed to ski <laughs> as a family <laughs> i try to come up with excuses but really we're all just worried that sonny he's the only I... bono that gets to ski and look what happened to him I just, yeah, Moreau, ugh, come on, Idris Elba, you are in so many bad movies. And, like, this movie was the exact same plot as Gunslinger, where, like, he has to fulfill a prophecy and guard yeah. a random kid, but he's really good with a gun, and he's part of a secret order. Man, I, I guess that's his type. I hate that. Yeah. I just keep making the wire and Luther. Stop doing anything else. Bell. Stop doing anything else. <laughs> right. You're an embarrassment to me. One uh -huh. fan among literally millions. He's the se he was the sexiest man alive or sexiest person alive, whatever the phrase is. Sexiest being alive. Yeah. Tr look, watch out, cheetahs. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got you beat. Hey, hey, look out, Raja. You had your time in the sun. Um. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay, so there's another scene in the movie where uh, Nick Cage is in the hospital. Naturally. And uh, he gets out. He's escaping the hospital. And he comes face to face with the mom. That was a moment of recognition. And I was really hoping for a flashback to maybe five minutes prior in the movie. (laughs) Because they did that in the first Ghost Rider there's a scene where, oh, oh, that, that happened earlier in the movie. And there's a flashback to something that literally happened 15 minutes earlier in the movie. Like I can't stand that when, it, when it, for the dumbest people possible. A, a half an hour TV show has to do a flashback. Yeah. Those are bothersome. Like, All right, you don't have to hold my hand that much? Or you do, because I'm watching this show and it's making me dumber. <laughs> yeah, that's making me actively dumber. But, I, I mean, Cage kind of speaks of that in the opening... Uh, voiceover where he's telling the story he's like I signed a deal with the devil oh you say what you never read a book how does that work out basically he does this whole then thing he where he's goes like, on to he's tell like yeah I'm a dumb guy and now I'm a demon so that's my life <laughs> but also the demon used to be an angel so that makes sense for <laughs> he's a corrupted angel something which <laughs> <laughs> an angel so it goes to the last scene and (laughs) so it's him against ostensibly the devil right i mean i think this is who mephisto is i don't think he's a demon i don't know they don't really say he's he's, i get the feeling that he's like a boss demon because he's like a demon that can make deals which is like i think an echelon like a like a la like very donald trump-esque like Art of the, part of the deal yeah um. they even <laughs> they even what, what are they into it? it's about the power of the deal is the devil's power that's literally something Donald Trump saw that a little prescient where I'm from <laughs> Ghost Rider got something right so. uh huh yeah yeah Ghost Rider a little class consciousness <laughs> not no not at all remember that Twinkie joke that totally landed <laughs> I said out loud, oh, that's not funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> just stone-faced. That's not, okay. That's, yeah, I get it. That's not funny. Yeah, I, I wrote down the, I don't know, it's Twinkie. I said, I said, Twinkie joke is scathing. That's what I wrote down. What did you write down? Oh, well, what did I write? Kerrigan not decaying the Twinkie is not funny. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> that is the sentence I wrote. Um, yeah. Okay. So the movie ends. There's a uh, there's a, a face off with Johnny Blaze. Which the newly reempowered Johnny Blaze. I want to bring this up real quick. You know what happens after the sun came up? Which was like the the timetable that the devil was working with. It's like, <laughs> but he still kidnaps the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Did he not read the plot? No. Did he no. not? You know what? We needed a five-minute flashback. That's where it belongs. So he's his face up with the devil, and he he whips him with the chain, he lifts him up, and he's like, go back home. And he slams him, right. power bombs him through the ground. I guess into literal hell. Like and it kills co- him? Through the core of the earth. Does going to hell kill the devil? I wrote down... How does it work? Is the devil weak to fire? <laughs> Yeah, he's a water Pokemon. <laughs> uh, That's not how this works. I wrote down, 
There was no discernible reason for Ghost Rider to beat Kerrigan either. No. How how no. does how does Chain defeat Decay powers? That's like a question that answers itself, Mike. <laughs> Damn, you're right. There can be only one Ghost Rider, but can there only be not one? There can be only one chain. Ah. Uh, one chain to rule to them? them all. One chain to rule them? <laughs> In the darkness God, that would have been a much uh, better movie. Uh, just Lord of the Rings with one of the Nazgul on fire. Yeah. <laughs> now I could get behind. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I take it, uh, Kerrigan, his power, uh, he could do it on command, I guess. No, it, wasn't it, was, just... it was anything he touched. But it wasn't anything he touched. Oh, you're touched right, because, because he drove he's driving a goddamn a car, car with yeah. his hands on the wheel. Yeah. And leather, it's an organic material, and it decays. His yeah. clothes, come on. You're right. It See, the movie really sold it as like a King Midas touch. Except for uh, everything else he touched. <laughs> yeah, except where it he, like, inconvenienced the plot. He touched the kid and it only kind of worked. But he touched an adult man and it happened real quick. Yeah. But then he touched... Was it Tom Jane? <laughs> and it took no. Him, it First took of all, him. no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was it Raiden from like, Mortal Kombat. It took him so much longer to yeah. kill him. Yeah. Uh, but Now, okay, all this said, uh, at, at the literally like the halfway point of the movie... This kind of kind of this uh, this middle action scene ends, and that is a pretty cool scene. I really like the that was incredible combine of yeah. the mining machine or whatever it is, which I didn't know that was. I'm glad they explained it because I didn't know why that was happening. Rig turns, yeah, I did not get that at all when it was happening. It's like, okay, so I guess you could turn anything into fire, right? I, I can't wait for this to be part of the movie. Oh, oh it's over. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> so he's doing this big thing of fire, and he's killing the guys. It's awesome. He walks with the guy, and the guy shoots his like, Uzi in his face, and he, he eats all the bullets, and he spits all the bullets back as right. like, fire bullets. Very cool. That's cool. Yeah. I'm into it. I liked it. What um, I didn't like was the movie was set up so that uh, Ghost Rider was like a la the Hulk, like, a tragic figure where like he his superpower is unchained or uncaged and the thing is like he can't control who he sends to hell so if you commit genocide he'll kill you and send you to hell but also if you white lie yes he'll kill you and send you to hell and i'm like well stop fucking lying i did not a big deal like on the opening he was like anytime around evil whether it be a murderer or a rapist right. or an illegal download. Right. And I was like, oh, guilty. <laughs> right. Whoops. <laughs> Don't kill me, Johnny Blaze. Probably shouldn't be $4 on Amazon, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about real crime. <laughs> Making me pay for this stupid movie. Oh man, uh, just just a waste. But uh, like when, when you compare of Idris Elba's talents of <sighs> Kieran Hines' talents, so like really great, amazing actors. I think the guys who did Crank and Crank High Voltage, they this is they. I think this seems like Marvel locked them into certain things. They must have because like I don't think they, they can. They can't. Clearly, were not. They can't make a PG thirteen movie. No. 
They don't know no. how. No. Yeah. It 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 no. It's not fair. I mean, that'd be it'd be like making uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino make a PG thirteen movie. Like, this is a perfect. What's the point? That makes a lot of sense. And I did you ever see the movie Get Shorty? Which, I didn't think it's shorty. I really like it. Um, it's rated R. It's based off an that, that's with Elwin Lamore. Right? No, no, that's uh, that's actually a remake of yes. Get Carter. Um, I gotta look up. Uh, okay, okay, gotcha. An adaptation of a book by Elmore Leonard, who is like very well known for how good he is at dialogue. They did a sequel to Get Shorty called Be Cool. And yes. it is PG thirteen, and it is straight garbage. And you're like, oh, Mike, you probably just like the R rated movie because it's all all the dirty stuff, and all the cuss words. No, it's just like you're allowed to make a movie for an adult audience, and when you make a PG thirteen yeah. movie, you have to make it for like ten year olds that are convincing yeah. their parents that it's a good idea to go see this. <laughs> right. that, like, that, that is a big drop in age range when you go from rated R, which is okay if it's for high schoolers yeah maybe older high schoolers or people that have money that want to see movies or like adults yeah yeah and like 13 is for kids right it's also like if you want to make a movie about something that isn't i guess a comic book movie or like a fairy tale or specifically for children you have to make an r-rated movie like like uh, there's a whole bunch of sports movies that like people aren't acting real like remember the titans probably should have been an r-rated movie just because it's about it's about high school football yeah (laughs) that is not a family-friendly contest right there that guy gets to buy a car that's sad that should have been r-rated but i understand but it's like that's where like pg movies everybody likes r-rated movies most people like pg-13 movies can't really think of it like it's all the bond movies aren't that good now like true I really like Casino Royale, oh, and now we're getting off topic. But, uh, okay, we'll be back in a minute <laughs> to discuss which one of these uh, Nick Cage films was better. Alright, we're back, and we're going to go over uh, the four criteria that we have for comparing apples to oranges, and we're going to um, integrate the Uncaged on cage data Rubric? matrix. Yes, yes, data <laughs> metrics. The um... if you saw what I just saw, it's very cool. It is not for maybe you could describe it because you have a math brain, but I would not be able to describe it nor imagine it from your description unless you showed it to me. And I think that we're gonna have to get some. This is not that sublime of a concept. <laughs> Wrong again, my friend. <laughs> Wrong again. But. Now that you say it, it is pretty great. Um, it's part, part of the. I just goal... appreciate how much, like, thinking and energy is going into it because it's not lazy, and I think that that shows the proper amount of appreciation for our boy Nikki. This N- Nikki for C. me, um, like you said at the top of the hour, um, I'm here to create content. I'm here to. Um, Unleash some creative energy. Yeah. But I also want to create a document. Yeah. Of, of, of Nick Cage and his work. And I'm a, I'm a math guy. I, I want to do it quantitatively. Correctly. As much as possible. You want to do it right. 
So one of my goals here with the Uncaged Uncaged podcast is to uh, make a, a universal cage rating system. Um, I will create UCR. a three-dimensional graph, a heat map, if you will. Um, on two axes, our, our X and Y axis um, is the how, let, let's call it your north and south. Okay. Uh, how good is the movie or how bad is the movie? Our east to west is how tame is Cage or how uncaged is Cage. Okay. And our third axis, which will be the size of the icon okay. uh, on the graph, a small icon means eh, just kind of a bad, lazy performance, and a nice, big, bright, shiny icon is just an aces performance by Nick Cage. And I think, so this is the question I would have if I wasn't looking at it. Being uncaged and having a good performance aren't completely inherently different. the same. No. Like, because he could do different. a really good job of acting, but be a very controlled character. Yeah. Like, say, uh, Living Las Vegas mm -hmm. or Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but... Not super crazy, but right. it was a really good performance. Yeah. And then you have movies like, <laughs> one of my favorites, Deadfall, where he is absolutely <laughs> bonkers. And I, the, just the movie is not good. And oh. he's, he's pretty one note, but it's completely insane. Okay. That's, yeah. There you go. Which is, I feel like, its own measure of quality, especially in regards to Nick Cage. Because he has a, I think anyone listening to this knows, or maybe you don't, um, that Cage has a very particular brand of going all out. Yeah, and that's why he's, why people keep casting him, is because they're it's hoping to, icon. they're hoping to catch some of his lightning in a bottle. Exactly. In their exactly. piece of shit sequel that has nothing to do with. Any of the things that made Ghost Rider hey, good. It's a standalone sequel, Mike. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever that means. <laughs> okay, so for the first criteria, uh, whenever we talk about um, visual media, we're going to talk about rewatchability. So this isn't the movie that is better, because we're going to get to that for, the, for Bob's Matrix. We're going to talk about which one is better. Uh, so right now we're just going to say, which one would you rather... Gun to your head, you're like, you have to watch one of these again. Which one are you going to rewatch? Go. First of all, please do not put a gun to my head. Well, I do not answer the question. I'll put, it, I'll, well. I'll put it away when you answer the question. <laughs> That's how the questions work here. Rewatchability. Um, <clears throat> I'll start by saying that <laughs> we, we trashed Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance pretty well. On purpose. <laughs> but, you know, it's a fine Saturday afternoon. I'm not going to totally pay attention to this. It's on cable. I'm going to throw it on the TV movie. I knew I had to pay attention to this, and I didn't. <laughs> it, okay. is a, it is a... It's less than cromulent, but... Eh, Here's the thing. I've seen worse. I couldn't tell you what happened in the first one, so I think I'd rewatch it, and then there I couldn't go. tell you what happened in this one, so I'd rewatch... Uh, sure. I could comfortably rewatch this, because no. I don't think it's unwatchable it is it, no it's certainly not unwatchable it it's like a it's like just like a plain piece of cake yeah but 
Now that said, Joe, as difficult as a movie of a movie that that was, mm-hmm. it's such a phenomenal character study. Yeah. Of all different types of characters of Joe, um, of the child Gary, of Gary's father, who is one of the most evil depictions of a human I've ever seen in a movie. It's so incredibly dark. Yep. The movie really goes places with um, with life under poverty, uh, life under abuse from people, from institutions, from their economic circumstances. Yes. Uh, I, I do think that ultimately Joe will be the movie that I do rewatch more. Okay. Um, but n- neither one are that enjoyable for very different reasons. I am a 100% on board with, I think specifically because Joe was so good at what it was doing, I do not want to rewatch it. I could tell you what happened, not scene by scene, but I could tell you in 10 minute increments, I could give you a brief summary of each thing that happened. I mean, there's almost not that much plot that happens in and the I, movie, that's but probably there are extended scenes where it's just character. And and like you don't know most of the characters' names, no. and it's not for the same reason you don't know any of the characters' names in Ghost Rider, because <laughs> right. they forget to say them. But like it's because like there are so many people that like he has an impact on that don't have an impact on him that you don't know their names, right? Um, right. But like what like I don't need to rewatch Joe to tell you that I I thought it was a well made I and it was I could tell you what happened in it like I could hit all the major important yeah. parts and I can hit all the strong character choices and I can tell you all the like the relationships that were important why they were important and but I do I could not do that with Ghost Rider no no and I could watch it three more times I I couldn't tell you I didn't know who Kerrigan was. I thought that was the main demon. I don't remember. His name was Rourke? Rourke. Yeah. I don't know. Rourke. Pull that up yeah. off the top of my head. But no, I mean, that, that that's fair. There are there were a lot of really, really good movies that I will probably never rewatch. Yeah. I'm not going to rewatch Munich. Intense. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to rewatch Schindler's List or, like, Kids or something yeah. like that. Like, right. those... No, those movies are too much. Right. I got it. Black Swan, <laughs> one and done. <laughs> right. I get it. Uh, all right. So let's move to um, how good is Nicolas Cage's performance in this in either of these films? In each movie. In each movie. Yes. I'm okay. So trying to build a full database. Okay. Of... So is this on a uh, Likert scale of, is it zero to ten? One to ten. One to ten. Ten point scale. Okay. An eleven point scale. Um. Ghost Rider. I'm going to give Nicolas Cage's performance a four, which is in quality. Quality, which is below average, mm-hmm. but not the worst. Yeah. Because I think he builds a relationship with this boy who it, it's like acting with a bag of sand. Um, he <laughs> is able to make me empathize with him and his character's legitimate plight um 
much more than I think the script has tried to make me empathize with the character. I certainly think that's true. And we didn't get into it, but what a foil that the child in Ghost Rider provides for the child in Joe. I mean, or what from diametrically opposed just how acting uh, performances. Works. And the funny thing is, uh, Ty, what's his name? Ty Sheridan? Uh, the boy from Joe. Oh, and Joe, yeah, something Sheridan, yeah. Is, I believe he was all, he was just in Mud before this, where he plays yeah. a similar role. He was also in see. Tree of Life. Yeah, I didn't see that. Heard it's good. Yeah. Um, so he's also in Tree of Life, and mm-hmm. of course he is X. He's an X Man. He is Cyclops in is the X-Man. in this uh, new generation of is it old generation. Yeah. Huh. Mm. Days of Future. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I like Logan. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Logan, solid. Um, but like, just the uh, the amount of effort it takes to be a convincing child actor. You're like, Ty Sheridan's not a child. You're like, he says he's 15, which means he might actually be 15 in real life. But, like, the character is lying about being 15. Like, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, I'm giving uh, I'm giving a four for Ghost Rider. What do, what do you give for a Ghost Rider? For Ghost Rider? How good is the performance of Nicolas Cage in the movie? I will give it a uh, lucky number three. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, well, only one less than you. Um, he felt sleepy through a lot of it, um, but like you said, he he added a lot to the script. Yeah. Um, he was he his performance as average as it was for for his uh, for his abilities. Uh, was was definitely better than the script. Yeah. Um, but it, I just didn't feel excited through too much of the movie. Well, there's um, no real danger for an unstoppable killing demon. No, no, that's the thing about superheroes. And I think it's... that that the only like real struggle we saw was an internal struggle where like Nicolas Cage was like, I can't let the spirit of vengeance out that's the only real struggle we see see and it's not one of those intellectual struggles a la like gown in the green knight where it's like oh he's not going on adventures to kill stuff like this is a social thing it's it's legitimately just like nicholas cage screaming in camera and then his head slowly ah! which like i like that part i yeah. thought that was really good was cool. i'm when, like when he's oh. interrogating that guy and he's freaking out and yeah yeah he goes on the motorcycle ride um yeah, it, and, it, there, sentence, there is the internal struggle, but it but it he, doesn't matter he to the bring, plot. Like, he, yeah, it's not. He, it's literally Nicolas Cage is like, we got to have this. In it's here. like a few one-off scenes uh, that that add nothing to the plot and barely anything to the character. All right, uh, let's go to Joe. What on a scale of one one to ten? Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first um, for Joe's good performance of Nicolas Cage? I'll I'll kick it off for Joe. 1 to 10 performance for Joe. I'm going to give it an 8. Um, he was really great. He didn't use his full range like he does in some movies, 
but I think that almost adds to I don't know if it adds to the performance but it definitely adds to the movie um, he's he's phenomenal um, he uh, I, I don't know who the interview was with but he gave an interview uh, at some point and you know doing the press for Joe and he basically said that he didn't act in that movie um, that he identified with that character so well that he just read the lines mm-hmm. and he, he just played it um, you could tell he's having some fun in some scenes and he's definitely uh, uh, has, a, has a lot of internal struggle in some scenes uh, you know he, he borders the uncaged zone yeah. in some scenes but keeps under control uh, like I said earlier that, that this movie is a movie about restraint you can really feel the inner turmoil unlike Ghost Rider where they just have like three scenes where they just say it and the turmoil's visible as his head it, explodes in it, fire it's just exposition <laughs> yeah. in, in Ghost Rider and in Joe it's in it's in all the beats between the lines yes that you see who this character is there's so there's such a rich unspoken backstory yes to the character uh his performance was great, and it's it's a phenomenal character. I agree. I'm going to give it a 7, which is lower than yours. Um, I think it's above average, and I had to tick off some points. Um, one, when he's getting bailed out, he's at, I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out how he felt. Um, like Not bailed out, like he's just like free to go. And like I couldn't tell if he was he was tired. He was I couldn't figure that out. That's and right. then the scene when he um, is in the bar and he gets too, pushed too far by that guy who literally shoots him yeah. in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> he breaks the bottle, grabs him by the shirt, and just screams at him. But it was the wrong kind of scream. I yeah I agree. That scene felt just a little tiny bit off. And I think that's the only reason I can't give him a higher score is because. The, in the first couple of minutes he's on the phone with Junior and mm-hmm. he's having a conversation on a phone that is so realistic I'm like uh, I'm already in like he was talking on the phone as if a person he's like what the phone we, call right was great it was so yeah. it, like that's what I consider good acting is when you drink out of a cup when you answer a phone and talk on a phone like that's the sort of stuff and he's dragging a cigarette and like there are those beats where you like he's in the middle of dragging a cigarette and he starts laughing yeah. like he starts into a line and, and there's yes. that little moment of silence where he's gathering himself and yes it, yeah it felt so true to life and then the last strike I gave against him was when he went in and he like cut up the deer he did it in such a weird like way that it took it took me out of it for a second yeah. everything else when he's Sometimes sitting really good character moment when he's sitting on the couch and his the like really young girl came in because like her mom's boyfriend is abusive yeah and he is like just staring at like the weather channel or like a <laughs> telenovela right and she hands him his drink and he takes a sip he's like i can't taste this like that was so Joe that was he did that so well like there's yes. so many of those yeah. scenes where like the these three popped up and I'm just like it took me out of it and yeah. so I had to dock him a little hmm. but it was he 
it was exquisite. I like I legitimately wrote down. I said he is talking like a person on a phone. Yeah, and I was blown. Like that's that's how I look at stuff. I wrote during that scene when he's calling Junior. Like, <laughs> I, I I wrote down like he plays a really good just like drinking smoking guy. Yes. He has a little bit of gravel to his voice, and I thought, it, it, yeah, it, it's so real. His drunk was so good, like, cause he he's not an alcoholic. He drinks no. to deal with his pain, right. and he is hurt a lot. And when he's drinking, he gets sad, like, cause he's like, I need to find my dog. Thanks so much for helping me find my dog. And like, when he when they go to the place, he's like, I'll be damned. Like that's the I, yeah. perfect like, I. <laughs> It's a dog that looks like a cow. When the kid who... Yeah, he's just hitting on that lady <laughs> on the bike. That's That definitely elevated the Nick Cage acting right there. Yes. But so there's a scene when he is getting drunk. And it's, it's so like... <laughs> the kid is driving his yeah. truck. The kid who is... Who told him he's 15. Yes. Which we know he's not 15. And the kid says, can I borrow a beer? And he says, no, you're driving. You can't borrow. You can drink a damn beer. He to get a 13-year-old <laughs> drunk while they're both driving his truck. And then they stopped to like, was the woman outside her house? <laughs> I'm presuming it was her house. It's like, you, you just gave me yeah. a call. It's like, <laughs> well, and I think that that's, was that's so a great good. point in his favor in this movie that like you know we both agree that he he plays a very real character and he fits in so well with the rest yes. of the cast yes and the rest almost the entirety of this cast is non-professional actors right um which like the dad was a literal homeless man which that they hired off the street so that's and uh, he was a whole gawker article nominal one problem I had, I wanted to read one thing that they said that I think they totally misunderstood. Um, yeah. Damn, so, this Gawker article sounds like shit. So his uh, his name is actually Gary Poulter. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, G-Dog was his real name. He was a legitimate, uninterrupted breakdancer in real life who was a chronic alcoholic who had bipolar. Delightful. Uh, Delightful. They said... I mean, the end of the story notwithstanding. They also connected over Nick Cage and this Poulter guy liking heavy metal. Because, like, Nick Cage is just listening to Screamo and has a Pantera shirt on. And I'm like, is anybody going to address this? (laughs) The correct answer is no. I had to find it later. Uh, So Gary Poulter really couldn't get up off the ground in that one scene because he had suffered a seizure that may have been triggered by years, may have been triggered by years of alcohol abuse. Okay, I know what happened to Lil Wayne. It's not because he's epileptic. Okay, he had seizures because he's constantly drinking cough syrup. Okay, this is the worst part though. There is a quote from the production coordinator said, so... Poulter did a whole scene where he was too drunk to stand up. Yeah. And he like that's Great when scene. that's when he started doing some of the and lock-in, baby. That was real. And that that's why he was so good at it, is because he did that in real life. The production assistant said it was life imitating art rather than art imitating life. <laughs> he was back on set the next day. Like, no, you filmed him. You <laughs> filmed him after he was literally paralyzed because of his years of alcoholism. Yeah. Don't say this stuff like life 
imitating art, you're gross. And Shanti well, Del Sarte. <laughs> life imitated art a little too much because Gary Poulter died before the release of the movie. Right. Um, and there's a kind of an anecdote. Um, I guess it was during filming, uh, Cage talking to Poulter, and they developed this relationship. And which, like, Cage how do you not? Of course he would. That's course, just how. It, yeah. That's, yeah. But he was like, "Look, just you give this one year, stick this out for a year, you're gonna get roles. You're gonna play mm-hmm. a bartender mm-hmm. in a movie. You're gonna play a deputy in a western. You're gonna play this. You're oh, gonna play that." And so he nice. could have. He yeah. was. He um. Uh, I. I forget the, the writer's name, but it was on Roger, Roger Ebert's website, called it one of the all-time great one-off performances. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know if I can think of one better. I mean, he was... Yeah. It was scary. It's in your brain. How good he was yeah. at that role. Yeah, it was, it was messed up. All right, now that we've talked about the quality of the performance, let's get to the, the cageacity yeah. of the performance. The, it's not caginess. No, certainly not caginess. Which which uh, movie do you? Th- so we're gonna rate on a scale of one to ten. How one to ten, uh, how tame just versus how uncaged. uncaged the performance of our Ghost Rider was? Is he caged or is he uncaged? Um, because we're just gonna go ahead and assume when the skull is a fire and the chain's a weapon, that's not that caged? is not caged. Okay, yes, I agree. That's not caged. That is CGI. Okay, I'm gonna give this. I'm going to go four again, um, because I'm comfortable saying this is uh, below average. I'm comfortable Mm -hmm. saying it's below average. I'm not comfortable saying it's bad, because he is doing some Nick Cage-isms where, like, he's relishing the eccentricities of Johnny Blaze. Mm -hmm. He's building a character from a real character like he's making something that's not interesting which is this writing interesting because it comes from something that he thinks is interesting yeah and that to and me you, and seems you know he thinks it's interesting because he's a huge comic book fan he's just a fan of things that are good and like this is something that's good and he's like this is edgy it's it's it belongs in marvel knights because like yeah. He is an anti-hero. He's literally a demon yeah, right. <laughs> who, like, doesn't have a heart of gold. Who That's the whole will point. kill someone for a minor infraction. And I think that, like, be- he makes me believe that by the way that he, like, screams at stuff. And he's just, like, he's trying, like, he seems empathetic when he's like, oh, I'm, I need to get this spirit out of me so I can go back to doing tricks on my motorcycle jumping over cars and or something i think that five is he's out of the cage i think four oh. means he's the cage is open but he hasn't left and i think that he could have taken this more but they didn't let him and he should have pushed it i think he should have pushed for an r-rated movie and because he didn't i'm saying he's still in the cage four still in the cage um i'm gonna have to agree with you um, I, I think I will have to give it a four. Um, honestly, I would give it like a one or yeah. a two, if not for 
one or two scenes. I think that's what makes a Nicolas Cage movie good is like you're you're not in it for the whole movie. You're in it for the flashes of him coming through. Yeah. And and, and at his best, yeah, he can deliver. I mean, not yeah. just deliver, but he can carry mm-hmm. entire scenes. Um by just, you know, whipping up a whirlwind of energy and going places that you would never think someone would go. Right. And he really only does that. He, he only... I feel like he even only hints at that at the interrogation scene. Yes. Um, which is his, uh, you know, probably his, his most unleashed scene. Right. Um, but even still, I mean, it... He, he yells a couple times and then he hops on his bike and he yells some more and DFA nineteen seventy nine plays and you know it's it's it's, it's a very cranked scene. Yes, uh, it's very crank esque. Yeah, uh, that whole scene. But the rest of the movie's just a drag. Yeah, like he doesn't get to be funny. Even like he doesn't get to be hot. And I he think, doesn't get to be like an action star. And I think I'm comfortable saying that. Be- because of course the like the ghostwriter demon isn't Nick Cage's because like if that was Nick Cage he'd be doing some weird shit yes <laughs> like yeah he'd be the like sticking his ghostwriter is places nah you know he has that weird he would like ha- shamble that he'd he have walks a, with a and... tricycle that was on fire he'd have yeah. a boogie board or a razor scooter like that's Nick Cage for you or like he'd have a Mack truck that turned into Optimus Prime. There's all sorts of stuff that this movie could have been if they just had, like just let him out of the cage. All right. That he only he he remained in the cage. He separated the bars enough to stick his head out. <laughs> just and then his head caught on fire and he pulled it back in because he's then a, the bars came back and he had his head stuck and everyone. And it's not it's not his fault that this movie is no, a coward. Sorry, it's not, I think the movie's a fault. coward here. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Joe. I'm not. I'm so comfortable talking about how good the movie was that I'm conflicted to talk about how uncaged he was because I think I'm going to give this a six, which is he's out of the cage because he slaps that cop's gun and his hat right off his face. He does. It was a lot of fun. He jumps out of the car and like walks toward, and apparently fights those two cops. very aggressive towards the police. Yeah. Which I feel like if this movie was made in 2019, the police would just be like, pop, 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 pop. But no, because he's white, though. Fact. <laughs> so <laughs> they would have just like, they did what they would, they're like, come on, or just come on, big guy, we're all friends here. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I saw that, I saw that hostage video in You're, Santa Cruz. It's Texas. They would have just hanged him. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why do you have those ropes? It's like, ah, you saw it. Must have seen. Yeah, you'll get it. This must have seen Ghost Rider. I'm gonna chain you up. So the reason I'm I'm giving this a six is because he is trying so hard to stay mm-hmm. in character, and the un- the uncaged parts were like, so when he goes to the 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 brothel, I, this is an important question that it's important to me because the reviews kept missing it. Do you think that he? climaxes during the oral sex scene this is intentionally a very specific question and graphic yes but the movie is unintentionally or intentionally ungraphic about it because they said 
they they mention that he brings his dog, it attacks the other dog, it kills so the dog. he can go upstairs for a quickie. That's not why he's there. No. This is the only way he knows how to get rid of this energy and like calm himself down so he doesn't kill a bunch of people and go to jail. Yeah. I don't think he climaxes. And I think that's why he apologizes. Mm. This is this that is it's, it's the routine of going there that brings him down. Well, no, he was looking for Merle to calm him to soothe yeah. him. She wasn't there. Right. So he talks to this lady. He does the do you have a pet? Her name is Missy. What do you feed her? Now blow me. I need to look at the snowflake. That's probably how it was written. And he <laughs> delivered it at a seven performance. <laughs> but like, they were unca- like he, he didn't fully uncage out for me. No, no. He, he definitely didn't go fully uncaged. Um, I mean, I think that, I, I do think he, climaxed in that scene okay uh i think that's just so what he's used to that's the only way he can come down right is that physical release of that energy right um that is that's so what he's used to that's what he needs to come down he needs he needs some booze Mm -hmm. and to just bang it out also like the the dominance over the dog he needs to like assert himself some way and, like, the thing is, like, he's not, he definitely doesn't, like, uh, sexually abuse this woman. Like, she's commiserating no, in it. No. And, like, she literally doesn't tell him that she need he needs to pay. Like, yeah. because, like, that's, you know, don't go into the politics there because I don't understand <laughs> it. But, like, he is a regular, she knows that he's good for it. Like, you don't need to do this right now. Well, it's almost not just a, he's a regular, you're good for it. It's a, you're Joe. Mm-hmm. And I'll do anything for you. Right. Okay, so what would you score the uncaged, uncagedness? The uncagedness uh, for Joe, uh, I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a five. And for for similar reasons that you said, mm-hmm. um, you see the simmering throughout a lot of the movie. Uh, you do see him pop off during a few scenes. <laughs> you know, he fights some cops and he, and he wins <laughs> he has that he has that extended scene where he he fights the uh scarface man in the bar right. and he goes and you know that guy went through a window at 3 a.m so he didn't give a fuck i don't give a fuck <laughs> then he just can we talk about that scene when he just gets he so gets shot <laughs> he gets shot so hard right after the perfect line. i went through a window at 4 a.m and i don't give a i said Nice. That's that's some good goddamn nice. filmmaking right there. Yeah, that is that's that is good writing. That's I was the third time he said that line. So satisfied by that. It's just, yes. He just pulled it off so good. Yeah, it, it was perfect. That guy was he was good. He made me distinctly uncomfortable. Yeah, like he, he made he was a creep He's in a so many so many creepy character. ways. Especially the scene with him and Gary on the bridge. Where it starts out kind of innocently. You don't know how it starts out because you know he's a villain. And then he's yeah. just like... You see him shoot Joe and then right. Gary kind of... He's giving her the gun, carrying on out of nowhere. And I feel like you feel like... Uh, I think you're supposed to yeah. feel like... He's the predator. He didn't know that Gary saw him throw the gun. So he's uh, talking and he's, he's friendly with yes, him. Yes, yes, yes. And then Gary's like, why'd you chuck that gun? And then his personality kind of starts he's to just, change. Guns are bad, he says. Yeah. 
So I throw him in a I throw him in a river. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, he, no, he did such a good job of being a bad guy. Like, yeah. remember when he was trying to explain why it was okay that he was raping that girl? He's just like, oh my god. Well, she's gonna she start gonna soon. Do, she was gonna start soon anyway. You know it. Oh, let me go. It's like, that's... what are you talking about? That is not. <laughs> exoneration for that's, anything that's not logic oh my at all. god yeah that guy was he was so good at being a bad guy and which by the way it, the yet to draw another uh, you know i guess point of comparison between the son gary and his work ethic and yeah. his honest character yeah. and the dad who's just complete utter garbage yes the son over the course of it's kind of hard to tell how much time has passed uh, through this movie but right. I think it's fair to say months um, sure has saved $900 to buy the truck right. from Joe right. and Joe's like ah, no. you need it for insurance he's like what the hell is that <laughs> friends Friends don't buy things from friends <laughs> so nice um, and the dad pimps out his daughter his 12, 13 year old daughter who is now mute because what we can only assume is trauma severe abuse right. and trauma yeah um pimps are out for 30 bucks a pop which okay another issue i had dollars a pop which another issue i had uh they so they mentioned that the ending of the movie was both anticlimactic it was a showdown and that the two villains of the film had joined forces in a kidnapping scheme. I'm like, I don't think you saw the same movie, friends. No, yeah, that's... Because there was no it showdown. Is, it was not It is not anticlimactic. It is a climax. And then it was not kidnapping no. by any terms. If it, There was Grand Theft Auto. Yes. There was... Uh, like at, at least attempted prostitution mi- yeah minor abuse that guy was wearing a mask yes <laughs> so that's a crime right there <laughs> clown mask or something <laughs> and then there just was like jail. and then there was just another guy who was just there waiting his turn just some dude and yeah. so oh god so that's so the so bad was perfect i mean it's the two bad guys i'm can i ruin it i wouldn't say they ju- can i ruin the movie we, we've all seen the movie so when I was legitimately concerned that uh, Gary Poulter, mm-hmm. um, Gary's dad, would survive, and I thought if that happened, then the movie would be a complete tragedy. However, oh, yeah, because he died, I felt okay. Like I didn't need the coda of the movie. I felt okay that because this evil force was out of the boy's life, he would be you knew it was okay. Be okay. Yeah, the yeah, coda helped. The coda. It was a little put, too on the it, nose. It put a bow on it because they were planting trees, replanting the same forest that Joe had. Yeah, poisoned. Right. Um, it, it maybe didn't need to be said. Yeah, but I do think it helped kind of wrap it up that. You know, Joe had spent not his life, but his recent professional mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. poisoning forests. Right. And you could tell that there throughout this movie, 
was a thought in his mind that he didn't want to get too involved in Gary's life at first. Yeah. He saw his dad beat him. Right. And he didn't do anything. Because he, he, he tells that to the to Connie. Like, is her name Connie? The girl? Connie, yeah. I think it's Connie. That he's like, well, like, that's... He has to deal with that. Because the parenthetical is like, he was beaten as a child, and like, he dealt with it. And like, right. that's how you... That's how you become a man. Is like you deal with your own stuff. But I think it, I don't. I think it's not just that he thought Gary needed to deal with it on his own. I think that he felt that if he got too involved in his life, that he was going to poison Gary's life. Right. Bring his pain into his life. Because we even help ruin his life. And we see that when he like starts hammering Nick. Nick Cage starts hammering a tree with the juice hatchet at the beginning, like. <laughs> He's lost it. Like this is his. This is how he deals with how sad his life. This isn't is. just a job. This is his calling. Right. Is to poison. This is what he thinks his calling is. Right. Is to poison these trees because that's who he thinks he is. Right. Until he realizes that he isn't. Right. Yeah. And, and then Gary goes on to bring life to the world. Right. Because to, to move beyond. Yeah. You know that Gary is not going to be Joe. Yeah. He is going to be someone else, some someone presumably just as good, mm-hmm. but a much more. Um, he had the chances that Joe didn't have. Traditionally good, right? Person, yeah. He's going to succeed, and he's not going to have to do it the only way that's provided. Like he has a different, he has more opportunities. He's a real path. Now. Yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, <laughs> all right. So our last one. Um, which non-Cage performance uh, really helped out? And I think this is a good one because as a Nick Cage movie, it no Nick Cage movie is just Nick Cage. Unless there is one and I haven't seen it yet. Which would be great. It's a one-man show. Yeah. Um, for his performance to be good, he has to be able to play off people and people have to be able to... Um, Support him in the correct ways. Support, react. So, yeah. is this on a Likert scale? Or is this just which, which one we prefer? This is just which person gave the performance. Okay, so you want to just do one person. So I definitely can't give it to Idris Elba, because nope. he's out. No, no, it's not Idris Elba. Um, it's probably not the guy who decays stuff. He didn't do that. Not for me. He didn't do that good. Definitely not the kid. Oh, God. Uh, Ghastly. I think I'm going to give it to the devil. a whole lot of other people. I think I'm going to give it to the... <laughs> oh, God, you're right. It's a pretty tight cast for, like, a big movie. I don't feel comfortable giving to Christopher Lambert. I think I'm no. going to give it to the devil because he makes the comment about, like, don't you see this body? It's decaying. And he's like, oh, that's that one guy's job is decay. You're like, no, it's not... I'm gonna steal your body. Is like, oh, like that makes sense. Um, I think I'm gonna give it to him. Uh, I thought he did the best job of like playing a villain to Nick Cage, and he sort of like pushed him in the right way. And like he seemed to be the only other person who quite understood what was going on within <laughs> the reality of the film. So I'm gonna give the non-Cage performance award to the Devil. Or a devil that's allowed to make deals. Uh, Mephisto. Thank you. Okay. Not, not Mephistopheles. Satan. 
<laughs> not Mephistopheles, because that would be that would make too well, much that, sense. It was Mephistopheles. I'll look it up. Mephistopheles is the name of uh, the devil from Faust. Faust, yeah. But Mephisto is a pretty cool name, so they might have I just picked Mephisto's that. I think Mephisto is just a shortened version of Mephistopheles. Okay, so we are going to go with Mephistopheles, which is the name of the devil that makes the deal in Faust. So yeah. I don't know if they read that, because it wasn't in the arc that they met anyway. Uh, he I is th- the deal-making devil. So Rourke... Mephistopheles, the devil, sure. I'm giving the best non-cage performance to. All right. Um, I think I'm going to have to give it to Kerrigan. Uh, he seemed like he was really having a lot of fun through through most of the movie as human Kerrigan. Because he gets to shoot a rocket launcher. He gets to shoot a rocket launcher. He has phenomenal hair. <laughs> uh, very, uh, very John Ralphio-esque hair. It is um, the best. <laughs> and then he turns into, you know, kind of a cool demon. Gets Appar- into case stuff. Apparently it is like, he is a uh, canon villain. But yeah. the only thing that's the same is how so he, he looks. looks. Yeah. <laughs> they said none of which, his powers are right. Which I didn't, okay. So does like really dope, fluffy brown hair turn into like, long shaggy blonde hair when didn't, it decays didn't work for me <laughs> did not work for me no no they the one thing they took from the character was his look which sucked <laughs> shots fired that twinkie joke though um all right yeah. and now to joe which was the best non-cage performance that you saw in the movie there are a lot of really great choices in joe um i thought uh, for, for a pretty limited role, Junior was really good. So good. Um, Apparently, he owns a restaurant in real life. Really? <laughs> I don't nice. know what kind. <laughs> Just a, really a 100% believable. They talked about um, dicks in a way that I've heard before in real life. <laughs> in a way where it's just like, everyone's just like, yeah, that's that's real. That's funny. Yeah, this yeah. is the proper it's amount of locker room. This is what locker room talk is supposed to be. We just make fun of each other. Right. We don't make fun of women. We don't objectify them. We just talk about how small no, no, the other guy's dick is. No. And it's funny. Everybody gets it. It's funny. It, sexual assault is not what I talk about in the locker room. No. That, um, no. Yeah, you know, it's, it's apropos not of nothing. And it's not ever. good. Um, Hope, well, this is going to come yeah. out in March, so maybe we'll have a new president by then. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? President Mike Pence. Uh, no, he'll have a heart attack. Or something. Uh, <laughs> something terrible. Yeah, we'll get Nancy in there. Speaker of the house. We'll get ripped in half by a horse dick. <laughs> um, Talking about dick sizes. Watch out. Yeah. Watch out. Um, Junior was great. Um, Gary was really good, but the performance of Gary Poulter mm-hmm. as uh, the father figure was. Um. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, heartbreaking and heart wrenching. Right. Uh, you. You could feel a certain amount of empathy for him, mm-hmm. um, because this is, this is a guy who, in a way, is a victim of the system. I, I 
and maybe that's just me, but you know, anyone in poverty is, has been victimized, right, to some extent. Not to life. mention that like he has the genetic predisposition to be like an addict, and then like yeah, every time he like lapses into it, people are like, "Ugh, back at yeah. it! Why doesn't yeah. he just clean up?" You're like, "Because uh, there's no tools around him. He can't. Like even if he yeah. could, like what's keep what? Who's gonna keep him there? Who's gonna help him? He lives." in a condemned house right i mean he he's he's off the grid right um but at the same time you feel that tinge of empathy and then he just does some of the, the most worst destructive things that that a real person can do to their family and to the people around them yes i mean he he murders a man for a bottle of wine and then like the contents of his pockets which he saw him shambling, so he know he knows he doesn't have anything. Yeah, he knows he's homeless. Yeah, he knows he has what, ten, twenty bucks on him. Also, maybe. like maybe because there's the scene when like he's going through the garbage bag, mm-hmm. and then like a guy approaches him as if he's a like like how the people approach like Joe's dog, where they're like frightened by like they yeah. think he's an animal, and there's no like sense of oh this guy feels pity for me. I, I must be low. He's like, he just says like, I think he says thank you, and then yeah. he just like rapidly starts eating this food, and then like, but it cuts to like his family, who he's completely abandoned, who Joe has provided food for, mm-hmm. and like that the that juxtaposition is just like, this this guy can't take care of himself. God, I mean, there is a line uh, toward towards the end of the movie in, in a big confrontation between. Uh, Gary and his father, where Gary comes home, and he knows, or, or, or his dad comes home, and Gary knows that he, uh, the father knows that Gary's been making some money, and he comes in, and there's a line where he says, he says, I'm the one taking care of you. Right. You got some money? Right. And it's like, it's immediate, like, he has this vision in his mind of who he is, that he's someone. Right. And he has this family that he provides for, but he provides nothing. Right. He's like the parasite. Yeah. He, he doesn't provide nothing. He he provides destruction and abuse. Right. Yeah. Uh, so because that was so, like, because he was a real person and he'd done so much of this, I'll, like, I, I gave it to the uh, Blevins character. The guy who went through the windshield. Because he was such a bad guy. Ronnie Gene Blevins. Ronnie Gene Blevins. I'm giving it to yeah. Ronnie Gene Blevins as the villain because he was so disgusting. Oh, and fucked a foul creature. He he reeked of so much realism. Yeah. That like literally real like he came on screen and like you can smell whiskey and BO. Yeah, and like but he wasn't a found actor, and that's no, why okay. I'm giving it to him. Um, not because I thought he did a better job, but he did more acting than the other characters who, because like, yeah, that's probably true. And and just because like the uh, the female, um, his one love interest, the the younger girl, she's doing a good job, but like they 
she didn't have her role didn't provide her that much no, leeway. No. It, where it was like limited. this guy is the worst bottom of the barrel scum, uh. and like when you can make me hate you because you're doing a good job, I think you are a better actor. Yeah. And I I thought the the kid uh, I thought Ty did a good job, but like he was great. It's because he wasn't a child, but he was acting like a child. Like child actors are notoriously just trash in my mind, and I thought he did a good job because he wasn't a kid. Like when no, he's, he when he, he stole did not, he didn't at any point seem like a child actor. When he stole his dad's bottle of vodka and like was playing keep away, <laughs> yeah. but then he gave it back. Like my heart, like oh my like God. he did That's such some... a good job with that yeah. but he that's because he's not an actual child actor like if he was a child actor and he was able to pull it off i'd be like wow this kid's great but he was like right. a, he'd already been like three major films so right. Yeah, right. yeah and now he's cyclops so i hate him so and that was just that was another one of those scenes where no, like nothing happened yeah but it spoke so much to yeah not only who these characters were but what has happened to them in the past right that you, you can tell in this scene that this is how gary deals with his father yeah it's drunk is he yeah. tries to make him laugh right and he doesn't want to make him mad right because he knows that his dad will kick his ass right and it's also it's like hey this is my dad he like could tease him a little bit this is he's gone all the time like i'm trying to learn stuff from him i guess the only thing he could teach me is Break dancing, so I'll learn yeah. a little bit from it. Learn how to pop and lock. Yeah, somebody has to teach him. Yeah. <laughs> this economy. Um, okay, so Joe is the uh, unadulterated winner here um, because it has uh, Bob's vote for rewatchability. Because I guess you're a masochist. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, <laughs> it has the higher scores for uncagedness, the higher scores for the better performance. And it sounds like we've praised the non-Cage performances well here, too. So, oh, yeah. of the yeah. two Nick Cage movies, within the scope of comparing apples to oranges, we recommend Joe over Ghost Rider 2. Certainly. <laughs> Spirit of Vengeance. <laughs> um, and we'll be back in a minute to uh, delve into... Oh, wait, no, we still need to do the 1 to 10 score of the Nick Cage movie. Just like which... which quality of the movie. Quality of the movie. Yes. Oh, that was... Ooh, sorry, guys. Okay, uh, 1 to 10... One being uh, Garfield 2, uh, Tale of Two Kitties, and 10 being uh, The Godfather, right? So <laughs> one IMDb. is good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> one is good. Um. That's watching Tale of Two Kitties and Garfield at the same time. Like, they're <laughs> superimposed on each other. It's like Quadrafina, but with only two. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give Ghost Rider a two. Two is, well, could be worse. Yeah, could be Tale Two Kitties. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. which I haven't seen either. But and I'm gonna give a Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, mm -hmm. a solid three. All right. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go? Do you want to go first on Joe? Yeah, Joe. Overall, wow. Um, I'm gonna give it a nine. I really I I loved this movie. Mm -hmm. As difficult and as painful and as sad as most of it is, it it's it's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, just just the 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 
the place, the setting, um, the characters, the music, uh, the sound, the the score was was yeah, great. They did um, a great job. It, it wasn't a very um, because a lot of movies will you know a scene ends and the score cuts and they're like there's a lot of like cuts in the score and they're you know they're playing like five minute songs right the songs I mean you know kind of ambient but they kinda, like you know, it, music it it fit it was not jammed in it was not a music video it was no the, the music added very so well. much atmosphere to the film. Um, yeah, you know, beautiful in a in a dilapidated kind of way. It, it well in a southern gothic yeah. kind of way. It's southern miserable. It, yeah, it's old and it's yeah. creaky and it's rotten. Right, and it, and there's a beauty in that. I'm gonna. I agree with all that, but I'm only gonna give it a seven, which is, uh, in my mind, well above average. But it it did not. It did not transcend uh, too much for me. It, it brought to light something that I had been hinted at in like, other media I know about, and it decided to point a spotlight on it, and it thought it did a great job, but I did not feel comfortable watching it. And when it was over, I did not feel like the scope of the movie touched on everything that would have made a better movie. It was affected, I, but didn't quite go to the next level for that, you. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, so, we liked Joe. Sir, oh, yeah. Not yeah. because it was a feel-good movie and it made Ooh. us feel good, but because it was a good movie. Watch Joe. Yeah, that is a movie um, about a a very specific slice of the human condition yeah. in America. And um, we'll be back in just a minute with some recommendations for Nicholas Cage. All right, we're back. Uh, because this is a um, unfamiliar episode, we're going to instead of telling you our favorite Nick Cage movies, because like maybe my favorite one is one I haven't watched yet, Bob. Wow. Okay. Pulling the mind here, Mike. Me too. Um, we're going to tell you we're going to recommend the movie that we haven't seen yet, but we're going to watch for the next uh, Nick Cage uh, pod we do, and it's called Bob. What's it called? Movie is Color Out of Space. Uh, you might be familiar with this title because it is the name of a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. I guess they're all short stories or novellas. Because um, I think was was Mountains of Madness a novel? Was that considered a novel? Because like a novella has to be under a hundred pages, right? Mm, I don't know. It's something like that. I know Juvenalia is what's your shorter novel? What you write when you're a kid, and he he has some stuff published when he like his first couple things published, and they're like just straight trash. They're like yeah. all capital letters and like fourteen exclamation points. He was a man. I'm like that's not how you end a story. Man, he sounds very online. Uh, he was. <laughs> he was. He created a genre. He's like the Edgar Allan Poe of like the 1930s. He's yeah, he's he's the uh, Edgar Allan Poe of YouTube comments. <laughs> First, um, so we're recommending you watch this movie. We've not yes. have you seen it already? No, I haven't we haven't seen watched it. it either. It, it just came out in theaters. I didn't know that. That's exciting. <laughs> it is a brand new movie. Oh, yes, man. yeah. Okay, cool. So go see it. 
Uh, and then you'll know what we're talking about as we ramble on. That's wrong. As we... As we speak in tongues. <laughs> that means they can understand us, though. Oh, as we uh, wax lyrical on, on, on Nick Cage, um, I'm really comfortable saying that this has to have legs because these two movies could not be more different from each other. However, no, they're so similar <laughs> in other ways. So similar. They're just like about a man who has to fight his literal inner demons. Yes. And, Some, yeah, sometimes and, literal be a father figure for someone who needs it because in the one case the boy's father is the literal devil and in the other it is a metaphorical devil is as about as maybe not satanic but as evil as man can get he's real down he's real low (laughs) real low um i think like i can't wait to find a movie that we're we're just surprised that doesn't fit this role where it's it's someone conflicted who ends up i guess that i guess ghost rider is a happy ending the movie barely ended (laughs) or did it just begin just they just like the the reel ran out (laughs) remember when they say hell yeah that's how the movie ends i think that's how this podcast should end um hell yeah hell yeah it's like yes hell yes <laughs> what do you uh nick poor old boy I, so I, ca- I can't we're gonna have to like delve into not now because this podcast is over oh boy is it over <laughs> brother uh but we're gonna have to like talk about nick cage's like life because that oh, yeah. directly impacts why he's in some of these movies <laughs> Both financially and philosophically. There is an entire well of Nick Cage ephemera to go through. <laughs> Not unlike the H.P. Lovecraft where there's, there's hard lore and there is canon that people believe in and there's fanfic about that canon. That's kind of our Nick Cage. Like We're, we're the curators of the Cage canon right now and we're going to do yeah. some... We're going to hold that mantle. I'm going to uh, shine some light on the world. I'm going to find an autobiography, hopefully just a biography, because I think that'd be way less weird. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to bring that to the pod at some point. Hopefully, you know, this this podcast will be, be going on long enough. Nick Cage has said for a long time that one of his life goals is to write a book on acting. Oh, man. To explain his process. Um, Stephen King wrote it, it is, it's a not, book on writing. It is not simply method. Okay, what he's doing, and this is a topic for another time. Okay, but he has he has his own school of acting that he's developed, and there's a lot to say to that. And I'll I'll leave you with this. Um, I think it was a Guardian article about Nick Cage, and they interviewed Ethan Hawke about Nick Cage. Okay. Ethan Hawke was just was filled with praise for Nick Cage. And uh, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said something like um, that he is 
not only the best actor you've ever seen, he is the first actor to do anything interesting with the art of acting since Marlon Brando. Wow. That's Marlon a... Brando kind of... He was his actor pop- of his generation. Yeah, he popularized the uh, the, the realist kind of method. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, a character on screen is supposed to seem like a real person. Nick Cage does not do that. No. But he brings realism to it. He kind of blends vaudevillian comedy and uh, extremity and blends that with a realism. Yeah. I He's think, almost a cross between Buster Keaton and Marlon Brando. What we need to do is we'll start a Patreon page, and when we make enough money, we'll both enroll in the Nick Cage School for Acting. Yes. And we'll uh, reenact most of Nick Cage's movies. Yeah. Just audio, though. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, well, this, that dog this, this is, is an podcast. asshole. <laughs> I don't... No, I love dogs. That dog is an asshole. Oh, oh, so you're the you're the devil's baby mama. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, hey, Idris Elba, act good. That's that's off script. That's uh that's off camera. Uh uh uh, not gonna do it. Yeah. So he so he just sent it back to him. Uh uh uh. Uh yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll leave you with this. Um, it's been comparing apples to oranges and. Uncaged on Cage. I'm Mike. And I'm Bob. Go watch uh go watch some Nicolas Cage movies. That's our recommendation for just today. Check out some Nick Cage. We can't do just, yourself a favor. Don't watch one of them. No. Watch them. Nick Cage movies are literally like plays. Once you pop, you cannot stop. That's Pringles. That's the phrase. Of that's Pringles. The, that's the phrase for Lays. Can't have just one, baby. <laughs> okay. Catch you next time. Bye. Hell yeah. Some folks, they live on whatever it takes Hell, I've lived off of nothing for most of my days It's not worth remembering the days of my past That drowned in the sorrows of yesterday's glass But something will find a way somehow to break It will be my heart, it will be my fate I won't recall my many mistakes Or hold on to nothing for anyone's sake Thanks for listening to episode 48 of the podcast. Well, for comparing apples to oranges, I guess this is in the top five for Uncaged on Cage. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly enjoyed making it. Uh, I got that blogger site for Cato Podcast all nice and looking good, and there's all sorts of good stuff. Go ahead and check out thecatopodcast.blogspot.com. There's some good stuff in the show notes today. Um, Most of the articles that we mentioned, especially that Gawker one, which came out of left field. Uh, Any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, send it to the Twitter. That's at thecatopodcast, all one word. Go ahead and email us at catopodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the artist Leisure B. So that was some good stuff. If you like that, go ahead and check him out and the rest of his work at humanworkshop.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next month. Bye.